Welcome to Restore, a podcast seeking to restore the vision, restore the mission, restore the church. And now your host, Javier Diaz. Hello and welcome to the Restore podcast, episode six. My name is Javier and I'm your host. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And for those that have been sharing this podcast, we also thank you very much. Our constant desire is that as people listen, that they will be blessed, challenged, and inspired as they hear the stories of restoration, whether they be personal or corporate, in essence, how the church is being restored to fulfill God's mission. I'm so excited to share with you today's episode as we invited a a panel to have an open, candid conversation about some of the social issues that have been front and center in our lives. Part of the goal of this particular podcast, along with creating a space to have this conversation, is also to dialogue about how the church should and is, or perhaps is not, responding to what has been happening. As you listen to this episode, it will most likely invoke differentiating opinions. This is, again, in part, what this episode is about. We need to have these conversations. We need to listen to each other as well. The panel was diverse, and it consisted of the following pastors. Pastors Ivan Williams, he's a ministerial secretary for the Seventh-day Adventist Church in North America. Pastor Tim Nichols, Vice President of Pastoral Ministries for the Florida Conference. Pastor Myron Edmonds, Pastor of the Glenview Seventh-day Adventist Church in Cleveland, Ohio area. Pastor Dustin Hall, Senior Pastor of the Southview Seventh-day Adventist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And Pastor Nelson Fernandez, who pastors two churches in the Greenville, Clemson, South Carolina area. Before we launch you into the episode, I want to make you aware of a few points. First, uh, we had some technical difficulties starting around minute 10 of the episode that last about five minutes, give or take. Now, after that, there is no issue whatsoever, and the sound is very clear. So, please just uh, bear with us. We were not able to fix it um, on the post uh, release. So, please follow along and let that um, not hinder you from listening all the way to the end as a conversation gets deeper as we go. Second, in the last several episodes, I've been finishing uh, the episodes with asking guests some, some fun, lighthearted questions. And uh, even though the serious nature of this conversation uh, that we have, uh, I do finish with uh, one of those questions. So just keep that in mind. Uh, with that said, here we go. Well, I want to welcome our guest to our panel, and I am so happy to have them here. And uh, I'm just going to get right into it and have them introduce themselves. So, guys, if you can do that, please, let's go at it. Hello, everyone. I'm Ivan Williams. I serve the North American Division of Seventh-day Adventists, overseeing pastors and ministerial directors as ministerial director for the NAD. Glad to be here, Javier. Thank you for being here, Ivan. Truly, thank you. Um, I'm Tim Nichols. I'm the Vice President for Pastoral Ministries in the Florida Conference. Thank you, Tim. You are leading us in this uh, podcast. I'm Dustin Hall. I'm the lead pastor here in uh, at the Southview Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and it's a privilege to be here. Thank you, Dustin. 
Myron Edmonds. I am the lead pastor of the Glenville Seventh-day Adventist Church here in Cleveland, Ohio. The world champion Cleveland, Ohio city. Is that correct, Myron? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mike, for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's great. And I'm Nelson Fernandez. I'm the pastor of the Greenville Spanish and the Clemson Seventh-day Adventist churches in Greenville, South Carolina. All right. Thank you, Nelson. Thank you guys all for being here. Um, And um, so I'm going to get right into it. Uh, I'm going to direct this question to Ivan, but also open it up to our panel. Uh, Ivan, uh, about a week and a half ago after... Uh, the shootings in uh, St. Paul and uh, Baton, in, Baton, in Baton Rouge and what happened in, you know, also Dallas. The uh, North American Division, which is our faith community, Seventh-day Adventist, you know, church here in North America, they uh, put out a statement. And part of that statement reads, it is past time for our society to engage in open, honest, civil and constructive conversation about the rights and equality of every member of our community. Having an open discussion means talking about difficult topics in a productive manner. However, we must move beyond the talking stage and begin to actually develop practical ways of dealing with the racial intolerance in all of its forms, whether subtle or overt. So I want to ask Ivan, what what do you see as the role and responsibility of the church when it comes to these issues that have become charged with politics? Uh, how do you think the church should respond in its responsibility? Avia, thank you. That's a very relevant and important question. Um, I, I believe the church's first responsibility is to listen. It's not the most important, but one of the responsibilities of the church is to listen to its community so that it can be a part of the uh, congruent solution uh, and then to, once listen, get involved uh, in some way, um, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, as you prayed earlier. I, I think the church has been safe, uh, many times silent, and uh, it comes off to many in the community as sanctimonious, and we haven't gotten involved. And, and one reason I believe is, People think getting involved in social issues or addressing the socials is somehow being involved in politics. And I think they're separate. I think they're two different things. Um, Sure, there is a politic about any social issue. But I think that as Christ's example was, he walked, he talked, he felt, he touched, he ministered. Jesus was in the community, and for the church not to be and to be just inside its building, its walls. Um, and I think today people are wondering, where is the church? Hmm. What is the church's response? And so I was very grateful that our leadership, uh, in fact, I was out of town. I wish I was there um, a week and a half ago here in the Washington, D.C. area. Correct. Uh, decided to go out publicly. <clears throat> And not only march from the Lincoln Memorial to the Martin Luther King uh, statue or memorial, uh, but also to put out a statement. And I think that the statement is no less than what Jesus would do. Jesus got involved in our order, in our mess. And Christians need to care. 
we need to be involved. Okay. Um, same, the same question to the rest of the panel now. What, what do you guys think along those lines, as Ivan was mentioning, is the role and responsibility of the church when it comes to these issues um, that have been clearly prevalent, not just you know recently in the news, but I would venture to say ongoing. Um, so any, any person who wants to just you know, jump in. I know somebody yeah. wants to jump in, so go ahead, jump no, in. I, <laughs> no, I will say um, I totally agree with, uh, with Ivan. Um, one of the things that we had to deal with in our congregation just this week, uh, we actually had an open floor conversation for about 30 minutes before we had the sermon. Hmm. And uh, one of the questions uh, that was asked uh, by a member of mine, uh, albeit an older member, um, that sort of reflects the mindset that Ivan about about sort of a anti-politics of feeling. She, she essentially said, should we be engaged in these processes in terms of, you know, Black Lives Matter or All Lives Matter or uh, protesting or marching or civil rights? She, she sincerely wanted to know. And a bit of her question was more like, I don't think we should really be involved in this in light of the fact that Jesus is coming soon. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists are not to engage in this kind of thing. And it just so happened that the sermon I was going to preach, and I had to let her know that I wasn't calling her out, but that's what I intended to, to, to answer that very question, because I think it's a question that I think not only in the Adventist context, but outside of the Adventist context, um, churches often, unfortunately, are not as engaged as they should. One of the things we know about the civil rights movement is that the civil rights movement was born inside of churches. However, it was not the majority of churches. And even to the extent of black churches, if you look at the history, Martin Luther King, uh, for the most part, was a part of a small group of people. Uh, and of course, over time, there was a groundswell that began to support him, but he initially started really alone. Unfortunately, our denomination was not as engaged as it should have been uh, during the civil rights era. And I I'm glad to see that we're starting to see a change in that during this. Uh, we're rewriting history for our church. And I, and I, I think I want to go on record saying how proud I am to be a Seventh-day Adventist, especially in North America. We, I have been seeing uh, advocacy and involvement all over. But I just want to make mention of the fact, I think we got some theological issues as to why we often don't see a response uh, to, what is, to what is happening. And uh, we just need to look at the life of Jesus Christ. I mean, Luke 4, to me, is the model. Um, he, he said the Spirit of the Lord has anointed him, and the list goes essentially to the oppressed persons of society. We look at the life of Christ. He was on the front lines of advocating for the oppressed, even to the extent that he tore up the temple uh, and, and threw out money changers, essentially people that were exploiting uh, those who were least likely left over and uh, left out. So I think biblically, we do have a foundation to get engaged, but for whatever the reason, culturally, socially, our theological heritage, maybe some miseducation, has gotten a great majority of our people who feel like this has nothing to do with the end of time. As a matter of fact, someone posted on my Facebook page that this, that our involvement in this process uh, was a distraction that was prophesied, they claimed, hmm. uh, by pen of inspiration, and they went so far as to say that I was a blind leader to engage my people in this fight. So hmm. we've got to re-educate our people. Uh, about engaging in the community, as Ivan said. 
you know, just a follow up um, on that response that you just mentioned. I, I've I've noticed that that's another tension. Um, I'm going to be specific to our faith community. How's that? That within our faith community, there is that tension about which Ivan, you mentioned that responding to social needs equals some kind of politics. And granted, there is that. But what I'm hearing both of you say, Ivan and also Myron, is that is that you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that that is not necessarily the case. And also that there is a biblical case, which is Jesus um, to move forward and engaging in that aspect. Is that is that what I'm hearing you guys say? Yes, you know, uh, if I may just real quick, two seconds, three minutes, whatever. Having a politic is not good or bad. Politic has no, um, how should I say, uh, right or left. It's whatever you make it. I, I think Daniel had a politic. He served through four generations uh, or four different administrations in the Bible. Some say even five. But um, I think it's very important that we understand that if we're engaged in being representatives of Jesus, and I'm here to echo We're good. Okay. If we are engaged like Jesus, then our responsibility is to be his representatives. And, and um, support, support righteousness, righteousness and strive, strive to do the right thing. Right. Okay. So, Javier, Javier, go ahead, Justin. Can I just jump in here? Yes. One of the most troubling things for me is that people are standing from afar, disengaged from the pain of other people, and telling them how they should feel in their grief. And that's an extremely troubling thing for me. Um, we were a, we're in one of these communities where where this has affected people, real lives here in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And when you engage with these people, you see that they are grieving and they're afraid. And so, to me, the church is called to respond to crisis, no matter what that crisis is. And we are living in a time of crisis. And it's not our job to tell people how they should feel within the, the conditions of a crisis. It's our job to go and heal hearts and minister and pray and reach out and connect during crisis because we, we believe we have the message for the final crisis. So to me, it falls right in line with our theology, and it's extremely troubling when we are not engaged with these people, ministering to these people, telling them how they should respond to very trying and, and troublesome times. Yeah, no. this is Nelson here. I, if I could just kind of echo what, what Dustin was saying. Um, one of the things that I think is very challenging about our culture is that we're living in a culture that's very almost meme-centered. People have an idea, they'll share a meme about it. It's a very short clip about it, but... Uh, it, the, these memes don't carry depth, they don't carry nuance. And what unfortunately has happened in this conversation is that you have the Black Lives Matter movement, the Blue Lives Matter movements, at two almost polar opposites of the spectrum. And everyone has kind of sided with one side or the other, or you're either Blue Lives Matter or Black Lives Matter. The responsibility of the church, though, is to rise above that. I think I remember writing recently that the New Testament church is the only entity on the planet 
where uh, these discussions about race and social and economic differences are also different. The culture around us, we have to figure it out. But we as a church, we have not only the calling, we have the responsibility to model what we expect out of the rest of society. Because we can't point a finger at other folks in society for not getting it right. But we have no excuse for not engaging in conversation. I'm still hearing an echo here as well. We have no excuse to not model what we expect for other people. Okay. So, so how do we, let me, let me kind of back up before we, you know, actually continue. How do we model that? Because with what I'm hearing, in case people don't know who may be, who will be listening, uh, Dustin Hall was a pastor that was in one of the protests here, you know, recently he wrote an article in the Adventist Review. I read the article, we actually spoke about it, and, um, and um, immediately I see one of those responses, responses that you're talking about. Somebody saying that technically you should not have gone, essentially is my understanding of what I, you know, captured, that you should have not gone to that protest that you should have not done, you and your church. Um, and so so it even seems that sometimes when we model that, that there's always somebody within our community of faith or outside of our community of faith that's going to say something that the church should or should not have done. So what what is your response to that? First, Dustin, because you're the one that actually went there and what you did. Um, and then anybody else in the panel and, and go from there. Javier, before Dustin, I think it may be good if everyone mutes their line, their mic. Yes, please. That will help. Okay. Um, so, yeah, to respond to your question, that very concern that Nelson raised was a fear that was keeping me away. And I was restless the night before we went to the protest because I was worried about what people might think. And we have a, a growing and thriving church here in Minneapolis, and I was I was terrified. If if we respond, what are people going to say? And then during and I was wrestling with this right through the worship service on Sabbath morning, and then all of a sudden during during children's story, we had a Kenyan little boy sit down right next to a Caucasian little boy, and they put their arms around each other and embraced each other throughout the whole children's story. Hmm. And I lost. That was it. I couldn't, I, I couldn't contain it anymore, and I stood up in front of my church, and I'm weeping in front of 400 people. And I was not willing to be that emotional at first because I knew that if that emotion came out of me, I was going to have to admit to, that I needed to do something. And so when those boys did that, it rebuked my fear. And uh, so we, we, led a, we led a group of young adults down to the protest, and we were there to minister to people. And we, we ended up praying with about 15 uh, law enforcement officers. We prayed with, uh, shockingly, when we got there with our group, the leader of the protest came over to ask who we were. And we told them who we were, and we just said, we're just here to support people, to love them, and to pray with them. And he said, okay, in five minutes, as soon as this guy's done talking, we're going to gather everybody together for prayer. And he gathered about 300 protesters together hmm. in a circle, holding hands, 
people that were there for all sorts of different reasons, and he handed me the megaphone. And there was this immediate connection, and, and, and through that prayer there was this peace and this hush. What started off as this um, sort of volatile yelling and shouting became peace and calm. And it was just such an amazing experience. God had every appointment already set up and scheduled for us. Hmm. And what I found is that the prevailing feeling there was fear. People are afraid right now. They are afraid. And when we were there saying, we're here for you, we're here to support you, there was a moment of hope within that fear. And it was such a, an incredible experience, full of emotion. I learned so much. And I'll just say this. I have never been around a group of more strangers that were open to speaking about spiritual things with another stranger or with a pastor and praying with a pastor than at a protest. <laughs> I've done a lot of evangelism. I've done a lot of outreach. And the, 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 the focus are the, the, this group of 300 people that were so open. They're there to be heard. And we said, we're here to listen to you. Hmm. That's why you go to a protest, because you want your voice to be heard. And I said, I want to listen. And then we responded by listening and then praying. And it was just this, this connection with our community and, and with these people that are afraid like, like I've never experienced before. Incredible. Incredible. Any, any thoughts, uh, you know, Tim? I mean, the, it's interesting, the way Dustin describes that is so important, I think, because as Myron explained earlier, the movement, Martin Luther King, its foundation, its roots, and I believe the reason that it found success is because of the spiritual leadership of that great man. Um, he would not allow his movement and his, the people around him to degrade into a violent and, and kind of a chaotic uh, type of uh, process. I mean, there was a lot of pressure for that to happen, but under the, his leadership, he maintained who they needed to be. That the gospel, that that um, that God's understanding of equality would be the thing that would guide the movement. And and when we think about what the church's role is, it's it's today. It seems like much of the conversation, much of even the civil rights leaders have lost that spiritual mantle. Um, and I think that the opportunity exists for churches, any church, to bring that environment back into the dialogue uh, because there is no human answer. Um, we, we all know this, that you know the human answer is to write a law or to just come up with some kind of a, um, you know, anything that ends up it's just human. So human work is not going to change the nature of man, and we're going to continue to have fear and anger and violence and chaos. That's just the nature of sin. The only hope is to bring the gospel, to bring who Jesus is into the conversation. And no one's going to do it if the church doesn't. So that in itself is the reason why the church has to become involved. Because without the church, this thing degrades into what humans come up with, which is always uh, biased and weak and ends up being very short-sighted. And I, I, think, I think that's the thing that's often missing in this today, is that it, because it has become only political or it's being controlled by people who only want their thing to be accomplished, 
it needs to come back to uh, higher purposes. Uh, what would what would God lead us to do? And so what Dustin did seems small, but um, I think it's the exact component that's missing. I also think that what Ivan participated in when they did that march, and if you go and listen to what was said there, all the right message was about who Jesus is and what he calls us to. So um, if the church is silent, then what are we leaving it to? I guess that's the point. Absolutely. You guys just thoughts on what uh, Tim just finished saying. No, I, I, he actually uh, stirred up a thought in my mind. Again, just it's just amazing how one's theology, man, can just impact uh, behavior. Hmm. And, um, you know, one of the sentiments that I wanted to mention before that I had forgotten was there's almost this um, this help, this theological helplessness that I think sometimes those that sort of believe in the last days feel, which is essentially this. If I could succinctly basically say it's like this. The world is going to get worse. There's really nothing we can do about it. Hmm. That's that's the sentiment that I even gather just in some of the dialogue. You know, we actually have a Bible study, our Sabbath school lesson that's talking about the community. And one of the discussions that kind of came out was if the world is going to get worse, and the Bible prophesies it's going to happen. Love of many is going to wax cold. And what can we how do? can we change? What can we even do about that? Yeah. yeah. And um, the, the problem, I think, the, the problem with that, that type of thinking is, is it uh, inevitably moves people to essentially the paralysis of analysis, where they just look back and make judgment, and they don't do anything. And then what ends up happening is what happened in the civil rights era. That same mindset was taken, and uh, we are almost uh, a generation past from then. Um, and it's you almost sound unspiritual in our particular faith community to even give the idea that Jesus may not come tomorrow. <laughs> but the mere, but the fact of the matter is, is, and as I, I kind of said this to my congregation. I want Jesus to come tomorrow because I know it will solve everything. But I kind of don't want him to come because there's a lot of people that don't know Jesus. Hmm. That this conversation has exposed that. Hmm. And I just kind of feel irresponsible to want him to come tomorrow. Yet there's a lot of people that we haven't reached with the message of Jesus Christ. And so I feel this tension almost, you know, with the way people believe that we can't do anything about this. And what I'm saying is, is we can. And Daniel is an example of that. Paul, these, Paul believed, they, their theology, they believed Jesus was coming at any time, but it did not render them helpless against still doing good. As a matter of fact, when you look at, uh, and I'll just end it here, in Matthew 24, when Jesus is talking about the last days, people in the sermon there, but he goes on to Matthew 25 and talks about the virgins that have the Holy Spirit, talks about the talents and utilizing our gifts. And then lastly, he says, if you've done it unto the least of these, my brother, you've done it to me. So it's almost like Jesus is saying, as you see more bad, do more good. So I think that message needs to be proclaimed and clarified, really, even in our, in our context, especially because people kind of feel like eh, it's going to get worse. There's nothing I can do about it. Dustin is a prime example. Ivan is a prime example, and others of you who are doing uh, good where you are, prime examples that God can use you where you are, even if Jesus comes tomorrow or 10, 100 years from now. Can, can I just jump in sure. right on the heels of that? 
you know, as we tumble toward Revelation 13 and the fulfillment, uh, the completion of Revelation 13, it's selfishness that drives all of that. Yeah. And it became clearer to me as we're at that protest that oh. compassion is the new civil dis- disobedience. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Because our, our, our society and our culture is driven by selfishness. The last days are driven by selfishness, and compassion becomes the new civil disobedience. Hmm. If I may say, uh, ditto. Uh, man, that's, that's heavy. And I, I think, Myron, your, your theme continues to be theology. Um, and I think, you know, we have a job as ministers of the gospel to to teach the word of God. You know, when you think about, for example, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, preachers, you can correct me if this is bad theology. <laughs> but when you think of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham interceded. He said, Lord, don't destroy this city. And what did he start with? Forty? And he got down to ten, and the Lord said, I will not destroy this city hmm. if you find ten people. And so for me, it, it goes to the to the heart of reaching people in spite of this world's destiny. Our job, our role doesn't change to be compassionate, to care, uh, to seek the loss, no matter what. <clears throat> I want to say uh, yes. that that that's the heart of what makes us do something in this kind of a situation um, to think that we're going to change the the philosophy of the world or the direction of where the world is going we kind of know better because we know how this world will end and I appreciate what Myron said that a lot of our people are only thinking about the end but both are true the end will be like that but while we're in the world we're supposed to be salt and light we're supposed to be making a difference where we can and so um, we we aren't going to change the nature of man by any of our efforts of compassion, but we can change the hearts of individuals. And we might not change a movement of hatred or things that are going on in this world that are confusion and chaos, which we know will continue and become greater, but, but we can change people by showing compassion. We can make a difference in the lives of individuals who are lost and hurting. Like, like Dustin said, we can make a difference by getting involved in people's lives and giving them hope. And if we don't do that, who will? So let me go with that route here. We've been you know, mentioning many you know, different aspects here. I think God leading. So one of them, just to kind of summarize just a little bit, um, I like the way Myron put that, is that we have, especially within our community of faith, a group of people that say, the end is here, the love of many has grown cold, right? And we read that, we know that. And so it's like, well, what can we do about it? Nothing. But the reality is that many of us, because of our theology, we see Matthew 24, interestingly enough, on a personal basis, that was my devotional you know, part just a few days ago. And I was thinking very similar to what you were saying, Myron. But as, he, as you mentioned, is that that actual text leads us to be working for Jesus in the last days, um, helping the oppressed, helping those who need our help. And so we have these kind of camps. Also, on the other hand, we have people that when they see this, they say, well, that's political. And what we're saying here, what I hear you guys saying here is that, yes, it can it can become political, but we can definitely not make it political, make it about the gospel. 
So with that said, specifically, how does the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we are about, what I believe the Seventh-day Adventist Church, what we believe, I should say, the Seventh-day Adventist Church is about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. How does the gospel guide us to have a different response than perhaps the secular leaders in our society? And we've kind of mentioned it, but perhaps we can be more, even more specific on how the gospel gives us a better response. I'd like to chime in here for, for a second. I think that when you consider the model for why the gospel changes what you do, it really comes from Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the church when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. I think that there is a parallel to what happened in Acts chapter 2 with way back in Genesis chapter 11 with, which, with what happened at the Tower of Babel. If you look at the Tower of Babel, you have a situation where one people, um, they have in mind making a tower because of the reason of wanting to make a name for themselves, right? Back in Genesis 11, God had called them to go out along the face of the earth, and they decided to not follow that command that God had called them to do. They wanted to make a name for themselves, and they wanted to make a tower because uh, the, the idea was that they didn't want to be spread out across the earth. And, you know, God comes down, long story short, and he sees this, and he gives what is probably the best shout-out, the best, you know, uh, saying that God can ever give to him. He says, there will be nothing impossible for them. And so the only way that God decides to kind of stop this project from happening is to confuse their languages. He, he, said he has people talking different languages, and notice that he doesn't take, as Dustin was saying, he never takes away the selfish intent that built that tower to begin with. All he does is confuse their languages so that they can't work with one another, and they have to go their own ways, and that's the only reason that, you know, the, 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 as the Bible says, that, that the earth was populated, because you have all these selfish people, now they're trying to build their own kingdoms with the people that understand their own language and understand their own thing. So out of one nation, there's all these different nations, all these different languages. Flash forward to Acts chapter 2, you have at Pentecost, Jews from every nation under the sun. People speaking different languages. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's poured out on Pentecost. Everyone starts speaking in tongues. And the Bible says that every man heard what Peter was saying in their own language. So you have, in, in Acts, uh, Genesis 2, out of one become many, and Acts chapter 2, out of many become one. You know, you, you have in the gospel the, the, the blueprint for this. Because you have to understand that you know, my experience as, as a Hispanic, right, is, is fundamentally different than someone that grew up um, in, in, in Mobile, Alabama, someone that, someone that grew up in Los Angeles, California. However, the issues that the gospel speaks to cross all lines, they cross all issues, um, because they deal with the very heart of the, the needs of the human heart. And unless we as pastors especially rise above the whole, uh, you know, the discussion of, well, you know, wanting to politicize whatever we see around us to the to, to the what you know Martin Luther King Jr. called the more excellent way of love in his letter to Birmingham and from a Birmingham jail, we're, we're never gonna be any different than the political pundits that we have we see around us. We're just going to be the the Adventist version of uh, Fox News or MSNBC. We have to lift up Jesus in this and show people how is it that He answers the longings of their hearts. Why is it that they're not going to find any happiness in simply just um, try, being angry or, or trying to get even with, with whatever. Um, you know, we have to show people that also, in a sense, 
that a lot of the things that they want, they can't have. You know, we, we live in a society, and I'll finish with this, we live in a society that wants to say that black lives matter, but why do black lives matter intrinsically unless you come at it from a perspective of the Judeo-Christian perspective where God gives people worth? Why do people matter? Why do black lives matter? Why do blue lives matter? Unless you point people to the reason, to, to the point that says people matter because Jesus, God, made them, then people are going to be grasping at straws in the dark. There's no, there's no compass for why they do what they do. So uh, uh, Christian ministers have the responsibility to point people to that reality that Jesus calls all nations to be part of the same community because we all have the same problems. Man, stop, Javier. Nelson, Nelson, I, I think I think the Holy Spirit's been moving both of us at the same time because what you just said is what I've been preaching for months here at my church. And it's, selfishness divides us. And, and something that, that fills in what you were talking about, the call of Abraham comes immediately after the Tower of Babel. Sometimes we separate those stories, but Abraham is called immediately after Babel. So the call of Abraham is in response to the division that takes place there. And then you fast forward down through time and you get to Jesus. And he starts, on what was the call of Abraham? You will be the father of many nations. Well, we have a problem because the many nations speak all sorts of different languages and come from all different backgrounds and all different cultures and have all different perspectives. And you fast forward to Jesus and he starts saying like things like, Authority over all flesh has been given unto me. Mm-hmm. And the more you hear Christ, he believes that he himself is the flesh and blood fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And then he says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. But God's family has a problem because they all speak different languages and they all come from different places. And we all have different, different experiences in our lives that makes us interpret life differently. And so... Pentecost comes to solve the problem of a lack of communication. (laughs) Hmm. And what we see from Scripture and all the way through Revelation is that the gospel and Jesus himself is the universal language to reunite the family of God. Mm -hmm. And so as we see division taking place, and it's these divisions and these polarization in the last days, that brings on oppression, that brings on the the conditions of Revelation 13. Jesus is the only answer to bring people who have had different experiences, different problems, different challenges, who speak different languages. He is the universal language to fulfill God's promise to Abraham to ultimately solve the problem of selfishness in our world. And let me go along those lines and ask a question with what uh, both you and Nelson have been mentioning. And I'd like to hear all of your responses in regards to this. Within that same line, Jesus comes and we've been talking about theology shows um, how we live our lives. Jesus said on what has been known as the greatest sermon ever preached, right? We all know as preachers, as leaders in, in our community of faith, the Sermon on the Mount, as it is well known. And he says, if I'm not mistaken, in Matthew 7, 12, the famous golden rule. That could it be that we have read this so many times and perhaps thought that it is just, well, it's the golden rule. Let's just move on. And within that, we all know what it is. Do unto others 
as you would have them do unto you. So what are your thoughts in, in leading that gospel conversation back and making it practical, our theology practical, right? Because, you know, good theology, some have said, without practicology, that's a made-up word I understand, it's at, at best good information. So Jesus came in with all that he says, do unto others. Part of the essence of racism, some may say, is obviously being treated unequally as others should be treated. So regardless of anything, does that come into play is my question. There's that famous sermon and that those famous lines that Jesus himself said, very practical in nature, the golden rule. How does that come into play with the essence of the gospel and steering the conversation that we're having here now? And it's being had all over as a church response. Your thoughts. I'd like to get each one of you guys' response to that. Yeah, I actually think that that scripture is the foundation for social justice. Hmm. Even when you start talking about social justice, you have some folks who say, oh, that's liberation theology. Um, We don't want to get engaged in that. But I think social justice to me in its essence is based on the golden rule. Um, Do I want to be treated the way I'm treating others? Or do I want to do I want people uh, to rise up? Because that has that has been my experience. Um, I saw something recently, and um, and I, I want to know your your thoughts on and just reaction to this. When I think it goes along these lines, I forgot the lady's name. Her first name is Jane. She's an educator, but she's been she's a, a white woman who's been on the front lines of uh, the miseducation of race issues in our country. One of her famous statements that she always says all the time is that we in the United States are one of the only countries that categorize people by race. Um, there's only one race, and that's the human race. Hmm. You know, there's no such thing as a black race and a white race. But one of the things that she said was she was uh, giving us a, a lecture before a totally white audience, and she said, if, if you were being treated the way... Everyone non-white is being treated, minorities in our country. Um, would you be okay with that? If you, if you would be okay with that, would you please stand? Hmm. And obviously, no one in the auditorium stood. So then she replied by saying, well, by your own admission, it seems to me, number one, that you've acknowledged that there is a problem with, mistreat- with the mistreatment of people who are not white. Number two, and, and, that, and that you feel that it is something that you're willing to maintain and not willing to change. So, uh, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to sound like a leftist, but I do want to say, I think that there is inherent within Christianity, a response when you look at the life of Christ to minister to downtrodden people, uh, to minister, especially to oppressed individuals. That's why I'm concerned about some of the rhetoric that I'm hearing from, from politicians and even Seventh-day Adventists and other Christians that have aligned themselves with these politicians, they have not found a unifying voice under the banner of Jesus Christ, which is to minister to the oppressed irrespective of a political agenda. Um, you know, I, and let's be honest. White privilege is real in America. And you have a population of people, whether they be black, whether they be immigrants, uh, whether they be Latino, who have who have who have in a large way not benefited from that privilege. And it seems to me that there is a need both from the oppressed to love the oppressor 
as well as the oppressor to love the oppressed. And once people do receive the love of Jesus in their heart, that can happen. But uh, I mean, I don't want to. I, I don't want to feel like there's there's a side of me that understands what Christ can do, but I'm also feeling like that people who have Christ should also fight, whether it be politically or not, and not necessarily on 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 partisanship, but just on issues. I mean, when you have uh, there's a there's a, a statistic right now that in 1850 you had less people enslaved than you have right now who are incarcerated, who are minorities. 80% of those who are incarcerated are minorities. You have a disproportionate system that seems to that seems to be against the minority of people in our country. And I just at some point, we're going to have to deal with that. I just don't know if we can just Jesus our way out of that. I think to solve problems, you have to identify, um, to, to provide solutions, rather. You have to identify problems, and you have to have those hard conversations. I'm hoping that we as a church will be willing to actually have those hard conversations without simply just saying, Jesus will fix it. Let me take it back off of you, Myron, if I could. I think you're you're absolutely right on this um, we we not only have to model it, we have to live it out. I, I think the Seventh Day Adventist Church is 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 an amazing voice of authority to speak on matters of health, an amazing voice of authority to speak on matters of education. But we really have little leverage when it comes to speaking about issues of race, um, because I think we have also inherited part of what happened in the past. Um, I think I'd be remiss to not mention the fact that we are also institutionally segregated. We have been for years, and I think if anything, this conversation has to prompt the Seventh-day Adventist Church to re-examine its own history before we start trying to tell other people what they ought to do. The pen of inspiration has said that the reason, uh, let them understand that the plan, obviously, this, the separation of conferences that we have administratively, ought to be followed until the low the Lord shows us a better way. I always have that. Because my fear is that the Seventh day Adventist Church has placed a period where God intended for there to be a comma. And we have said this is the way it's got ought to be until Jesus comes, because like you said, there is no change in the human heart. I think the Seventh day Adventist Church has to take a hard look at itself and start asking itself and its own members who, like you said, we're all supposedly under the banner of Christ. Start having this conversation among us as a church. And if God can do something big as a church for us and within us, then maybe the society will look at us and say, do you guys see what's happening in Seventh-day Adventist Church? What's going on there? Maybe they have something that we don't have. But until we learn to do that among ourselves as a people, then I don't think we have any business to tell other secular society what they ought to do. Okay. Um I know there's going to be some people who want to answer um, to what has just been said by both Myron and also Nelson. Um, and by the way, for those who may be listening, the, the pen of inspiration is what um, some have said is one of our founders, Ellen White. And um, as a community of faith, she's written a lot about different topics and different you know, things of that you know, actual nature. Um, and, and, and actually, I want to read something that um, she wrote. Um, and, and she writes this, and I hardly, I think, if ever have quoted um, Ellen White on this podcast, but I think uh, today I'm going to and just get your reaction because it deals with what we're talking about here. 
and what I and what was mentioned about the golden rule. It says every uh, unjust act is a violation of the golden rule done to Christ himself and the person of his saints. Every attempt to take advantage of the ignorance or misfortune of another is registered as fraud in the ledger of heaven. Just to the extent that a man would gain advantage for himself at the disadvantage of another, will his soul become insensible to the influence of the spirit of God. Your thoughts with that and everything that was just mentioned. Ivan, you want to, you're ready, Ivan. You're ready to jump in here. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, I'm bubbling over because uh, I agree with what has been said. I tell you, for me, uh, the gospel in the Good Samaritan, uh, Luke chapter 10, um, you know, ultimately in that story, Jesus doesn't say that. He was the Good Samaritan, but he tells this story of this man who was beaten and down on the road. And, you know, a priest walked by, Levite walked by, and and here this man who who was a different race, you know, probably different religion, he he binds his wounds, he gives him a place to stay, and Jesus said at the end of that, who is your neighbor? You know, who really is your neighbor? And I, I think for me that's a picture of the gospel. Myra mentioned the oppressed. Uh, Tim, you mentioned Jesus is the solution, uh, and and that is real. That 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 is real. Um, this whole race thing, I tell you, um, <laughs> you know, I, I work at our church headquarters, and I I really believe that uh, we need to do a better job of being to one another. Um, some of our barriers, I think, are bound in ignorance. Some of them are really not even taking the time to care about somebody else's journey. Um, I think we need to have a have a, a real conversation about how we've allowed the enemy to allow race to separate us in ideology, in worship, um, and so it's a whole thing. And I think we 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 need to talk one day about how culture impacts our relationship with one another. Um, My brother is speaking Spanish. Do I just tend to move away from him because maybe I don't understand what he's saying instead of seeing if I can get an interpreter? Um, You know, these are are real conversations that I think uh, no longer can the church hide its head in the sand and act as if these issues aren't real. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, in part why we here um, at the Florida conference are having this conversation where I don't believe any of us are claiming that in this podcast, we're going to have the answers to every aspect of what's going on in our society. But we do want to continue the conversation. This podcast is called the restore podcast. um, And we want to help to restore um, the essence of what Jesus would have us to do. And it, it does start with a conversation. And, and, and I'm hearing that a lot. We, we need to have these conversations. And I know, I would venture to say that I know there's going to be people that would listen to this, to what has been said. And uh, we're going to get probably a host of different types of responses um, from it. 
And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. I think that's okay. I don't know what you guys think. Um, so your, your thoughts, Dustin, you're ready to go too. And, uh, Tim, you're, you're ready to answer, I think as well. So, so go ahead. I'll start with, uh, Dustin. We have got to admit and confess that we tolerate diversity. We don't rejoice in it. And we have to understand that the Bible teaches us that we must rejoice in diversity. And here at my church at Southview, just on any given Sabbath, we have about 25 different nations represented. And what that has taught me is that when you rejoice in diversity, it forces you to ask questions about God that you never would have asked before. When you rejoice in diversity, God gets much bigger for you because you have to begin to see things from a different perspective. And one reason I believe that we only tolerate diversity, we don't rejoice in it, is because we as human beings love to think that we can fit the Almighty God between our ears. And He becomes nice and understandable when He's within our little world and our little context. And when you we rub shoulders with people that aren't like you, you have to ask questions about God that don't make sense to the God that can fit between your ears. And so I have learned in my experience to rejoice in diversity because diversity teaches me that God is way bigger than my world, which means he's way bigger than my problems. Tim, your thoughts in this? You know, we, we get to see a lot of diversity here in the Florida Conference in this part of the region. We have a, an extremely diverse uh, congregations from Tallahassee down to Key West. Uh, so what are your thoughts on everything that's been said here um, as with all of your experience and everything that that we get to see, not just on the weekends, but during the week? Well, I think, as was said, there is an opportunity here for the Seventh-day Adventist Church to embrace its diversity. I, I My experience, as you mentioned, working this conference, working <clears throat> pastoring churches that were, you know, I pastored a church that had people from you might see just about every part of the United States and every island in the Caribbean and every country in Central and South America was represented in that congregation. So we were what I think kingdom of heaven will look like. And I believe we were stronger and we were blessed and we were more vibrant because of that kind of diversity. And as was said, we have to embrace that. We have to find that it's better. It's not just something we accept. It's, it's better when we come to see what it really is. Um, I, I want to go back a little bit to what Myron was saying. I have to be honest, as a, as a white male, I struggle a little bit when people talk about um, the advantage of, of the white man. Um, I'm not going to deny that it exists. I certainly would be wrong to deny that. However, it does cause reaction in me because I'm thinking, where did I miss out? Because as a white man, I don't feel like I got most of that advantage. I kind of live a regular life, and I deal with problems, and, you know, we all survive. Um, but I think the bigger issue is there are people who are at, at disadvantage. There are people who are left in a disadvantaged position. And I think we as the church have to pay attention to that. Um, you know, we talk about how many people are in prison how much, you know, the statistics of how much crime happens within certain groups. 
if we want to make a difference, we probably can't change the, um, the overall feeling in our culture about those things, but what we can do is make a little difference in the lives of individuals. Uh, much of that problem that we hear described in the media, we know arises out of the disparity in economics, disparity in uh, family cultures, um, the disparity that takes place that our politicians talk about but never seem to resolve. Um, and if we really care to see it become different, the church maybe can't solve the poverty in an entire city, but we can make a difference in the lives of individuals. We have the power to go in and lift people out of those disparity situations, even if we only helped a few people. Um, because of those few people we help, we might help a young man who's got a single parent at home. We might help him find hope and not have to resort to crime or drugs or some other issue. And maybe at some point our voice, because we can make a difference like that, will be something that others begin to listen to because they see us making a difference. And again, it comes back to the gospel, but the gospel doesn't just talk theology, the gospel makes a difference in people's lives. And, and again, a lot of what we find are symptoms have deeper uh, origins. And we like to talk about the symptoms, uh, but we really need to be addressing the origins. The origins have to do with hope and the disparity of economics and people's lives and family situations. And the church, I think, can make a difference there. You know, um, um, yeah, go ahead. No, yeah, um, I wanted to, uh, and I, I appreciate what uh, what Tim has shared. Uh, I want I wanted to say that I think we, in light of all that is happening right now, um, I think we have a great opportunity here. Um, and I, I, I want to segue. We have a young adult population in our church. Most of us are all familiar with the statistics. Seven out of ten of them. Uh, we'll leave the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, but one thing we know and understand about our young adults, um, millennials, and you can even reach back a little bit and catch some of our Gen Xers uh, who are on the fringe, they are, they are cause-oriented. They are cause-oriented. There are some young adults in my church who are engaged in the discussions online. Like I have never, I, they've never been this engaged in Sabbath school. They've never been disengaged uh, in talking about protesting. I, you know, they're on the front lines. Um, one young man is, is downtown now knowing that there are Klansmen who are carrying weapons because in Ohio we're an open carry state, as well as Black Panthers who are carrying. But he wants to be in the mix. And, you know, he is a, he's a microcosm of a larger attitude that I'm seeing from young adults. And I think it's an opportunity for us as a church that we cannot miss. Young adults do not simply want to talk about change. They want to be involved in causes. Their monies are not going to institutions anymore. Their monies are going to causes. And when they see that the church is engaged in causes, um, such as lifting up individuals and and, and, and fighting for injustice. You know, Martin Luther King says injustice uh, anywhere is injustice everywhere. 
And so they take these things to heart. I think it's an opportunity for us as a church. And I'm glad, I'm really honestly, I am really excited what I'm seeing across our country of people reacting, not just reacting, but responding to some of the things that we're seeing and getting engaged because a lot of the folk that are doing this, Dustin just said it, are young adults. And I think this is going to be a great segue for young adults to get engaged and be involved in church. When we made the announcement that we were going to have a Black Lives Matter discussion at our church, who do you think are the ones that were the main ones at the microphone talking and the ones that came back to church because they wanted to be a part of the discussion? It was our millennials and our young adults. So I think we need to seize this moment as a church, not just because we want to raise injustice, but I think this is an evangelistic opportunity for us to reclaim some of our young adults who have felt over the years that the church has done more talking than we have done actually acting. Um, and and if, I, if, if I may ask this, um, the, one of the things that they are saying, at least in, the, in our pastor congregation, that's the majority African-American is that they feel that the Black Lives Matter movement has been misunderstood from this perspective. That Black Lives Matter doesn't mean that Black Lives Matter only. Mm -hmm. They're saying that Black Lives Matter also. So Black Lives Matter really is an injunction that says all lives matter. But we're saying, but they're saying all lives matter because a certain population of people haven't mattered so all lives matter, and especially black lives, because of the disproportionate amount of injustice that we've seen to this population. So um, a conversation definitely needs to be had, but I think that this presents an opportunity, as I have seen it in my congregation, I don't know if you guys can agree, that our young adults, I watched the march down there in D.C. with, with Ivan and his team that led out in that. I mean, there were people from all generations but I saw a lot of young adults out there who were excited and felt proud. The posts on Facebook, these were the tenor of the posts that I heard. I am so proud of my church to see my church engaged and involved. I think this is an opportunity and I'm excited about it. And, and that's exactly, I'm glad we segue that way because that's exactly what I want to talk about. In the midst of everything, this is an opportunity. In the midst of everything, it seems that this is the time, by what I'm hearing you guys say, and, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, where we as a church must have, this is what I've been hearing in, in, in a general sense, must, not, not just at this level, a podcast, put it on, people can listen to, maybe they won't, they can turn it off, they can listen to it while they're working out, or not you know, listen at all. But could it be that we must have these conversations, perhaps even particularly at the local level, we must listen because, right, because because we when we bring up this, these issues, it, it, it it's going to change. The more the church is diverse in its context, the conversation is going to be perhaps even more interesting, some may argue. And you can tell me if I'm wrong. So have the conversation. But listen, I think that part of what I'm hearing here a lot in this conversation is that we must listen. We must engage because we can't just listen and have the conversation and not engage. And then as we engage, we, we act as the hands and feet of Jesus. And whether we lead that or not, it seems that, as has been mentioned, and I've seen that as well, that the young adults, the you know, millennials, the, the word that is used a millennial of times, um, 
are going out there and doing it. And I'm talking about our community of faith because I've seen that quite a bit. So as we conclude this, this conversation, the conversation continues. Tell us, each one of you guys, how can we continue? Give us some, we've been talking about it. We've talked about it. We've mentioned it. But how is the positive essence? How can we as a church, um, as a community of faith, we believe, we have some very specific beliefs that talk about how we should live and act in, quote unquote, the last days. So let's finish talking about what we should be, the positive, the time that we're living in, how we can move forward and behold, the time is now. And, and, and if I didn't make my, my question clear, then I can rephrase it, but I'm going to throw it back out there. And uh, let me go down the line and I'm going to start with Ivan. I started with Ivan and we're going to have Ivan kind of finish off this last question, then go right around to each person on the panel. Ivan. Very quickly, Javier, I do have the great privilege to serve the church corporately mm -hmm. from a 30,000-foot view. But when I'm home, I also serve as one of the pastors for the Emmanuel Brinklow Church. And I think what we need to do as leaders is do a better job of leading the cross-conversation between churches and between the church and the community. Mm. And the only way you can do that is to be present. One of the things I think we we need to do a better job of is being present. When you're not sitting at the table, when you're not engaged and you're not there, no one knows what you think. And when they don't know what you think, they speculate. And so we just need to do a better job of being first, I believe, present and available. Can I'll I, stop can I just, right I, and I'm just going to, and we talked about this earlier. Ivan isn't part of what you see. And, and again, I, I'm asking you or I'm um, following up here because you, you do have that 30,000 foot view. So you see many, many congregations across our country. Um, mm -hmm. Is it in part back to the essence of fear? If, if I state the way and I don't mean I, but just any person states the way that they feel the way that they think um, would we should allow disagreement even within our church on certain aspects is that is that am i making myself clear maybe i'm not in other words some people in those conversations they don't want to speak up because of dustin alerted to it earlier in his own personal testimony of what others may say about me if i say something online what others may say about me on on facebook or twitter or snapchat or whatever social media realm um is the yeah, part of it is that allowing people to say what they say without judging them, even if you disagree. Is that is that what I'm hearing you say? That's huge. Uh, what, what I see often is the gospel according to my preference. And I demonize or people demonize what they don't prefer and they make holy what they do prefer. Hmm. I, I, I just think, you know, we, we really need to, to be present to listen, and to be willing to engage. Um, and the question again, the Good Samaritan, who is my neighbor, the one who showed mercy? We have to be people of mercy. Thank you, Ivan. Tim? I think the practical piece is that it starts with what Ivan said. It starts with knowing your community and being in your community. Um, you know, not everyone has uh, an African community. American community to minister to, but every community has a group of people 
who have needs and are um, not receiving the opportunities they need, the church could make a difference. Um, you know, in Hialeah, it's going to be a group of Hispanics who are being treated differently because of their economic situation or because of some political situation. And so it depends on where you are. You don't have to go 100 miles to find somebody. You should be in your community, get to know the mayor, the political people who run that little community or large community, wherever you may be. Get to know them and ask them, what, what does this community need? How can we make a difference? How can we actually demonstrate the gospel by caring about the lives of others? And, you know, we've been seeing that happen in a number of our churches who have, you know, the pastor and the people have gone and asked those questions. Sometimes the, the political leadership are just so stunned that a church would come and ask. Um, that They may not have an answer at first, but if you keep going, keep asking, they will give you plenty more than you can handle um, to make a difference actually in practical ways in the community. And I want to mention another situation when I talk about this. Um, you all know that it wasn't very long before the topics we're talking about today that Orlando went through the Pulse shooting and that tragedy. And the reality is uh, we probably didn't have a lot of great connections into the LGBT community. Um, however, there were pastors who had enough connections into people who did have those connections because of their previous involvement in our community, that they were able to show up on the very first day and pray with people, minister to people. The authorities asked our pastors to help tell people family members had died in that tragedy. They were present and ministering. Now, there were outside agencies in the Adventist Church that wanted to come in and bring people to help us in this area. The reality was we told them we don't, we don't need that right now because the people we need are people who have connections, people who are not only present already and known in the community, but we need people that will be here in a month and two months and, and six months that can continue to have the gospel be a presence in that community. We want to make a lasting impression and tell people we really do care about you. And you don't do that with a hit-and-run type of ministry. If you're not present before, it's very hard to become present after. So I was very thankful the stories I was able to hear about numerous pastors in our Orlando area who went there because they found connections that they already had to help them enter into those places where they could make a difference. And our churches have to think about it that way. Don't wait for a moment where there's a tragedy, but be in our community caring about people's lives. Thank you, Tim. Dustin? Um, I think it would be a mistake for us on this podcast, or even from a leadership perspective, to say, this is exactly what you do in every single community, X, Y, Z, do this. Sure. Because every community is different, and the people in every community are a little bit different. And what we love to do is package an outreach and say, these are all the steps you take. <laughs> um, and we find that many times that doesn't work in some places. Right. What I've learned is that what will work in one place won't work in another place. 
But what we do is we take the principles behind what is effective, and they work across the board. And what I've heard throughout this conversation, especially in the last five or ten minutes, the principle behind this is presence. It's the ministry of presence. And when the ministry of presence goes along with our ministry of preaching, that's when things become powerful. And we need to be present in our communities. And what we experienced when we went down to the protests and we looked people in the eye and said, I am here for you, mm. there was just this immediate connection. We are here for you. What do you need? What is your story? And I think that is the prevailing principle behind this overarching fear that's throughout our world and our country. Um, you know, something that hit me recently, um, we have a Kenyan elder in our church. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of unrest in Africa, a lot of unrest in Kenya. And he said, you know, we came to this country because we wanted something different. But now what we're finding is the same fear that we had back there, we have in, we have in this country too. Mm. And he said, the church, the church is our only safe haven. And we need to take that safe haven into our communities and look them in the eye and say, we have something different to offer you. And the only way we make that bridge is to go to people, real people, as a real person and say, I know you're afraid. Let me be here for you, just like Jesus did. Be the church in the community. It's not a building, right? Thank you, Dustin. Uh, Myron. Yes, actually, I... Um I agree. I think uh, with with everyone and and all the sentiments that have been echoed here, with uh, our church churches being more engaged in our communities, um, so that we're not just reacting to things, but we're responding from a position of strength. Uh, in that uh, we're known in our community, we're known by police officers, we're known by elected officials. We're known by the drug dealers. We're known by the pimps. We're known by the prostitutes. We are known. They know us. And so when we show up on the scene, we have a level of strength and credibility um, to an issue. I just want to share a quick testimony to that. Not a long one, really, really quick. No, just this week, we, um, we had our conversation at church. The, um, the, end, the end solution for us was... Churches should love people indiscriminately. Black men should love white men. White men should love black men, etc., etc. Uh, black young men should love police officers. Police officers should love this, love the same. And so, what we're encouraging our church to do is to make a difference that stands out. Is to love people indiscriminately. Uh, and so one of the things we saw happen is that the, as soon as church was over, we went out into the community and it's amazing when you leave the building, what God does, you know, it's just the most powerful experiences I've had at church have not been inside of a worship service. They've been in the community. We went out into the community and just as we got to the community where we're going to pass out gift cards to people just to open up uh, doors for conversation. And this is a low income uh, 90% African-American community where you have a, a 80% fatherlessness rate where there are very few fathers. And it's just, you know, it's just a bad blight and decay is everywhere. As soon as we get there, there is a prayer vigil being had hmm. for a young person that was killed. Hmm. 
and we came right on time. We joined in the prayer vigil. When we got there, the people that were in the prayer vigil were people that we had ministered to last year. One of the young men was someone we had baptized hmm. and his wow. family was there. We immediately had credibility at this event and uh, we were able to be a source of strength. They weren't asked, where are you and where are you from? And so I rejoice on that. And that's just one story from my context, but I see that happening more so than ever from a generation of pastors and others and administrators who actually care about about the things that are going on in our communities. And so I'm just excited to be Seventh-day Adventist. I'm excited to be a Christian. And I am those things before I am black. I am a Christian first before I am black. And that has a higher ethic as to what my concern is. And so I'm just, uh, we're just going to love people. And I think that love is going to solve our problems until the soon return of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Myron, for that. Nelson, you, you will have the almost the closing word. Wow. All right. Um, well, I'm going to take a slightly different change. I know that um, you know, we're all leaders in the church right now, but I don't know who the listeners of your podcast are. Some of them may be local church leaders. They don't have a position that they may, well, what can I do to get involved? I'm not in charge of a church. I'm, I don't have a ministry. What what difference can I do? And as I think of uh, those folks that are listening to this podcast, and as I think about what we've been saying, I, I I think it's important to note that you know you can't change everything. You can't change the structures that exist, but you do have uh, control over your own actions. You do have control over what you decide to do. Um, and as uh, really as an outgrowth of what I've seen the last several days, there are things that several three points that I've decided to do for myself when looking at these issues that arise among race and, and violence and things of that nature. First of all, you have to own your story. You have to recognize that within yourself, you are also a product of your society. You are a product of your culture. You have to know and own your biases. Um, you, you, you have to realize it's not as if, you know, uh, there, I don't believe in, in racism. I don't have, no, everyone is racist at something. We all have biases at something. But unless you learn to understand where you fall short, you'll never you'll you'll never know where are those weak spots, those blind spots in your life, where you know you may say something that does come across as racist racist to someone else. But you have to know where your shortcomings and your biases are. Secondly, uh, and I think that this is especially important in light of the internet age, you have to avoid extremes. Um, we must rise above the rhetoric that says. Uh, you know, I'm going to categorize or characterize everyone that believes differently than I do, paint them all into the same the same banner. We, we, we as Christians, we are not given that privilege. Um, God doesn't call people to be Republicans or Democrats. He's not going to ask you what you voted for in this election. But he is going to look at how you treated those people that didn't believe the same as you did. So you have to be very sure that you as a Christian are not adding to the chaos that we see around us, but rather you are being a light and a, a beacon and, and 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 being someone that people can actually look to and have confidence in uh, for what they say and what they're sharing. And finally, you have to stay thirsty and be willing to listen to what other people have to say. The reality is that we're seeing is that, as, as I said already, there's a lot of pain that has been brought to the surface. There is a reality that many minorities experience in this country. And the question is, will I shut my ears to that reality um, or will I listen to what they have to say, just like there are many good men and women in uniform that lay their lives literally almost every day to try to protect our communities. Will I listen to what 
they are going through and what their experiences are, or will I just be insistent on listening to and justifying my own um, narrative of what the reality is? Um, as, as Myron said, very great, you know, I am a Christian before I am anything else. And unless I as an individual make that a reality in my life, I'm not going to, I'm going to be a clanging symbol, you know, because uh, the gospel changes you. The gospel gives you love that you couldn't otherwise have for people that look and think that act differently than you do. And unless you are tapped into that source, you're going to be nothing but fodder, nothing but, but, but a pain to those around you. So that's really what I just want to leave folks with in this community. That you can do what you can, you don't have to have a title to make change happen. You can make change happen by yourself and with actions that you take every day. Amen. Well said. Each one of you, well said. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your input. Thank you for your thoughts. And we pray that this podcast, at the very least, will continue the conversation, will perhaps spark um, some, some good in the, in the hearts of those that will listen. And uh, we are open to continuing that conversation. Uh, those that are listening, they can definitely reach me at Javier, J-A-V-I-E-R, dot Diaz, D-I-A-Z, at floridaconference.com. Any questions, thoughts, you can email me there. You can obviously also reach me at my Twitter handle, as many of you know. I'm Javi, J-A-V-I-D-21. Um, and before I let each one of you guys go, um, I normally ask this to everyone. I'm shifting gears here in a large way. Um, and uh, But I want to end the podcast this way with two, two things. And I, I started this earlier in other podcasts, and it may be a kind of a strong shift, but I, I just, you know, I like to also laugh and have a good time. And the conversation we are, it's, it's, it is what it is. And I'm glad we had it and we're going to continue. So I want to finish with you guys answering two questions for me. Number one, um, a good way to get a hold of you, email, Facebook, whatever it is, in case somebody um, offline hears this and wants to maybe ask you a question, if you'd like to give that information. And secondly, I want to ask you this. Do you really believe that Cleveland is going to win next year against Golden <laughs> So that's a very important question <laughs> that you have to answer as we say goodbye. Quickly, Ivan, you got less than 60 seconds. How we can get a hold of you and, and answer that question? Yes or no? Well, yeah. Um, Ivan or at Ivan Williams is my Twitter account. Uh, my email is Ivan Williams at NADAdventist.org. And since I passed it in California 20 years, no way will Cleveland win again. It's over. Kevin Durant is now in the Bay Area. It's done. <laughs> Tim, how people could get a hold of you and yay or nay. Okay, tim.nichols at floridaconference.com. Again, tim.nichols, N-I-C-H-O-L-S, at floridaconference.com. And as a person who has experienced um, what happened with the magic and what happened with the heat, I can say that it's very hard to repeat. Very, very hard. <laughs> very hard. You're in that. You're in that. All right, Justin, you're, you're in Minnesota, but go ahead. You can uh, tell us uh, how we get a hold of you and yay or nay. At, uh, on Twitter, I'm at Pastor D. Hall. And my email is ishallstandmail at gmail.com. And as I grew up in upstate New York, a Buffalo Bills fan, so I say go Cleveland, I identify, all right? 
Okay. I'm tired of being the, the, the punchline of jokes in Buffalo, so yes. I, I, I rejoice in Cleveland's victories, okay? Yes. And I'm in Minnesota, and they're the, they're the punchline of jokes, too. So go Cleveland. Go Cleveland. Myron, we're not even going to ask you. So, Nelson, no, I'm just kidding. Myron, go ahead. Go ahead. And whoever is following Myron on, on, on any of the social media realm knows exactly what I'm talking about. But go ahead, Myron, where we can reach you. And um, I kind of know your answer, but to follow protocol with every guest, yay or nay. It's Myron Live, I-T-S-M-Y-R-O-N, My, it's Myron Live, that's uh, Twitter, that's Instagram, that's Snapchat now, I am a, I'm a snapper, I love Snapchat, and uh, Facebook is just Myron Edmonds, um, you know, I know this is supposed to be a time of hilarity and jokes, but man, I am so discouraged to hear the lack of faith in Israel on here. Men <laughs> of God, Ooh. Exemplify no faith. Save Dustin Hall. Thank God for this man of God. We, we're waiting to hear what Nelson is going to say. See if he too has fallen into the ranks of unbelief and decadence. Go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead Nelson. You've got about 45 seconds. Go for it. Well, the, the easiest way to get a hold of me, I have a blog that's ongoing at nelsonsblog.com. Um, you can also reach me at Facebook at Nelson Fernandez or Twitter at uh, NelsonF610. Um, I'm, I'm fairly easy to get a hold of. I, I, I like LeBron. I appreciate everything he did in Miami. I was happy for him to get his title to championship. But you know, man, he's going to have an uphill battle going against you right. know, the big four, Draymond and, 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 and KD and, and, and Steph Curry and them, and them boys. You know, you're going to have a hard time trying to repeat. But all the best. Good luck. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you all. Blessings to you all in each one of your ministries. Well, I would venture to say there's a lot going through your mind, and I hope that you will stop, pray, and just let God guide as you process all that you heard in this episode, and that as you do process everything that you heard and everything that you're thinking about, that you will continue this conversation wherever you may be. I want to thank Ivan, Tim, Myron, Dustin, and Nelson for taking of their time to be part of this panel and of this important conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or perhaps you have a story that you would like to share here at the Restore Podcast, I'd love to hear from you. So please uh, share that with me at Javier, that's J-A-V-I-E-R dot Diaz, D-I-A-Z, at floridaconference.com. And we have some great stories of restoration that I can't wait to share with you uh, beginning next month. So please make sure to subscribe to our podcast and let others know about it. God bless you. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this Restore podcast. We hope you've been blessed. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss any of our inspiring episodes.